Hello, and welcome to the Healing Dreams Project, exploring projective dream work for your health and wholeness with hosts Billy Ortiz and Dr. Royce Fitz. I am the producer, Viviana, and today we are going to explore hmm, metaphors, symbolism, archetypal, all sorts of things. And I would like to start with Royce because this is a topic that he has kind of brought to our attention. So Royce, take it away. Well, uh, so I didn't know I was gonna catch the first pitch. I will do my best. Uh, and thank you. Uh, in our work together, uh, one of the things that I keep experiencing and re-experiencing, and it's not just in what you, uh, us three have done, and as we have uh, interviewed guests, this has been through the whole long history that I've had in uh, the journey of dream work and uh, specifically projective dream work, which for me now is in the neighborhood of 20 plus years, is the beautiful respect that we always uh, seek to give to symbols, no matter what they are, in the dream world and in the waking world. Uh, and one of the things that I've experienced in uh, the projective dream work process, and it came first to me most clearly when I began to attend the, the uh, early retreats that Billy organized back in 2003. Um, so not so long ago, and yet so very long ago in the world of projected dream work for, for me. And what I noticed then is uh, how waking life work in different kinds of uh, areas uh, would use uh, the waking life work would would venture into things that I was not raised with, I was not familiar with uh, very deeply, although because I'm a curious soul, I've certainly dabbled and wondered what what does uh, what is tarot? What is that? What it, what are past life regressions? What's that about? What what uh, are uh, the experiences of astrology? Because out of my experience, being raised out of a very fundamentalistic Christian Christian culture, there was lots of fear and shame um, about using, you know, stepping into that. And, and as I have studied and grown over the years in my own theology and philosophy, I know that in ancient scriptures, there are allusions and sometimes direct references to things about uh, uh, astrology and other kinds of influences that early Judaism had from around their world as they were forming and morphing and trying to understand their version of spirituality. So, so that, you know, that uh, I'm sharing that because there for me have been kind of corrective uh, exp explorations of saying, oh, you know, modern day fundamentalist Christians, modern day uh, conservative 
uh, Judaic uh, uh, believers have a, a whole different view of what their history is like than what sometimes history really has promoted. So I, I'm lifting that up to say, you know, it doesn't matter. There were conflicts that I experienced as I was growing and changing and doing my studies in theology and philosophy and counseling, especially. So I would get challenged. Anyway, going to Billy's retreat, that's a long route to get there, is that there, there were these little booths of people who were doing you know, readings of different kinds. And it was like, this is so fun because this is Boulder, Colorado. And, you know, it's liberating and freeing for me, as well as helping me to kind of look back on my history and, you know, playfully defy some of what I was raised in. And at the same time, what I notice, and this is my stuff, and I think I'm correct, but it is my stuff. It, it, it is that sometimes people who need to leave abusive or distorted religious systems, and uh, you know, like I did, uh, that sometimes people were wounded by extremes of, let's say, I'll just be upfront about Catholicism or about Jehovah Witness or about uh, Mormonism or about conservative fundamentalistic uh, Baptist-oriented theology, people who had to leave and who'd been damaged had to leave that to find healing and liberation. And as they did, sometimes they would adopt what was, I would understand, as a new age philosophy that had different forms of belief systems, and, but yet they would embrace those belief systems as rigidly as what they were re having to reject in order to be healthy out of their old system. And so I noticed that stuff and I noticed my own struggles about what is true and what is fact and what is real. And, and, and so when we in, the, in, in this aspect of projective dream work, uh, when, when we look at uh, what is it that the dream is trying to invite out of us? Uh, sometimes the symbols of astrology or the symbols of uh, uh, tarot or the symbols of other kinds of uh, religious belief systems emerge. And it's like, ah, oh, wow, that makes sense. It makes sense. And it makes sense because in my view, it's a metaphor. It's a story. It's a, it becomes a symbol of something the inner self seems to be looking for and finds a handle to say, oh, the, the great aha, I have integration of the inner insight and the outer experience. And so it be, they become friends that way. So an, another piece, though, in my work as a spiritual counselor and military counselor and marriage and family therapist and having those kinds of things, theologian as well. I have amazing clients that I've worked with for 30, 35 years. You know, some of them I've actually worked with that long, but over the years, I've met people who are fundamentalist Christians who are yearning to explore their dreams. 
And yet, if they hear the word tarot or they hear the word astrology, it's like they get a startled response and they start like reacting like, I can't go there. This is of the devil. And it's like, after they know me and love me and after I know them and love them, we can relax that brainstem reactivity and begin to wonder what might this symbolize if we don't like outright reject it but we like a dream what you know if we literally interpret a dream we're going to go crazy if we believe everything that we dream about as literally physically true we're going to go crazy and we may die you know those kind of things but if we look at these as symbols then we can look at the dream as a symbol. We can look at astrology as a symbol. We can look at the sacred Christian scripture as symbol instead of saying it absolutely has to be physically, scientifically proven or, you know, we lose our faith. It's like, no, let's take a breath because Jesus spoke in symbols Jesus spoke in story. And so that's what I want us to have a, a kind of a, an, an attunement to is that what we are experiencing in dream work, when we bring up all aspects of symbolism, Christian or Hindi or Muslim or uh, astrology or, or tarot and whatever other symbols, we need to look at this as these are story. And story is what can heal us. I remember an author said, it doesn't have to be a fact to be true. You know, it doesn't have to be literal to right. be true. And so that's how I carry this. And that's how I carry it with a lot of my clients uh, as we work on trust and relaxation to explore all of these symbols. So that's where I wanted to go a bit in describing that so does this make sense to you two <laughs> yes it's very much this is where why i've i'm particularly drawn to the language of carl jung and his teachings because um his idea of of the synchronicity and his idea of the collective unconscious and the collective unconscious is mm -hmm. something that I inherit as a human and I, and I, regardless of what my religious upbringing might be and regardless of whatever training I received or didn't, um, there's, there's a, there's this unspoken language of metaphor and symbol that lives within the archetypal realm of the collective unconscious. So even if, even if I'm someone who's never looked at a tarot card in my whole life, or, I've been taught that Tarot is not something I should ever delve into. There, there's still going to be a map of the unconscious that unfolds through the, through the, the journey of the fool that, that we recognize in, in the major arcana. So what I've noticed after working with dreams now for 25 plus years is that um, even, if, even if I'm someone who doesn't know that language as a dreamer, I might have a dream, for instance, that has the number 12 that shows up frequently. And it's very clear this number 12. And I, it, my projection on the dream would immediately go to the hangman um, in the tarot, which is a period in our lives where we reach in its 
I, I feel kind of stuck and I feel kind of like I can't go forward and I have to let go of something in order to be able to, to move on. So I would probably project that onto someone's dream right away. And most of the time, what's so interesting is most of the time it resonates for the dreamer. So even though they may have never known that 12 represented the hangman, it does resonate for them when I present that projection. So um, I look at it as the language of the heart and the language of the soul. And I think it's the, the language that unites us all, unites all humankind. Um, if we allow it, if we allow it to be um, a language of symbols, again, as you said, there's no reason to take anything literally. There's no reason if I if I see my dreams as as symbols and and metaphors, why would I take astrology literally? Why would I take tarot literally? They're tools that maybe I can help me discover another layer to it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But once again, it's what we always say in dream work, uh, I can take it or leave it. And it's always dreamers choice. So for me, it's it's and, uh, and also just as you mentioned, myth and story, and I also poetry, poetry, very thank often, you. Yeah, yeah. It, I wanted to use the word poetry in that. But that, that's beautiful. Yes, it's go ahead. And it because if you read a poem, there's a line in the in a roommate poem, I think it's the poem is new rule. The last, the last line is, um, it's time to break the wine glass and fall towards the glass blower's breath. Mm -hmm. I just love that because mm -hmm. it's like, and I, and it makes me think what in the world does mm -hmm. that mean? And so, so many other people will, I mean, I interpret it as it's time to break the physical and to, to go into the inspiration, the glass blower's breath, that which made the wine glass. So there's, there's something beautiful about it if I allow myself to be open mm -hmm. to the language and to not cling to it and say, well, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> and why, how come it doesn't make sense? How can you fall right. towards a glass bar? Right. You know, and why would you want to break the glass anyway? So there, so there's, um, so there's something it's, it's, it's actually, it's, it's a language that unifies, as I said before, it unifies all of us and it goes beyond the boundaries of whatever, <laughs> spiritual upbringing I, I might have had so so i i've got to respond to, to to the beauty of what you're presenting i i haven't heard that poem but i've heard stuff like that and and that what you just used the word inspire to get to the breath of the glass blower so in ancient uh judaic scripture there is this breath of god that it, the I, I believe it's a brach the breath of God that breathes into, yes. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. It's just because Billy brought up Rumi. Yeah. And you're bringing up the breath of God. And Rumi said that the sound of the flute is oh. the breath of God. Wow. And I'm a yeah. flutist. Krishna yes. was a flutist. I mean, the flute is a sacred instrument. Anyway, I just oh. wanted to add that, insert that in. And sorry to interrupt. No, that's very good. That, it is an and it is an addition to the insight that we're moving toward, Viviana. So thank you. The flute is and it is a breath instrument, and right. and so we are inspired. And I believe the word inspire itself is an old Greek word. Is that correct? About it's Latin ins, inspirar in Spanish. 
deserve yeah. then to take yeah. in to yeah. feel nourished. Yeah. Yes. So all of these, and, and Billy, I got to interrupt because this proves, if I can use that word, what you were talking about, the collective unconscious that in Spanish, in Greek, in, in, uh, in Hebrew, and in other places, that when 12 shows up or breath shows up, it's like somebody may not have ever thought consciously of this and yet they dream about it or there is a waking life i'll use a, lo a loose to a word tool there's a waking life tool that has been used for generations like astrology or like uh, tarot or like scripture reading or meditation or the I Ching, you know, it's like our fairy tales or myths. They, yeah, 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 yeah. All of those things. They're all waking life tools, expressions of the collective unconscious. They're stories that don't have to be literal to be true. Yeah, that's it. And I I I'm a person of languages. I can say the basics, hello, thank you, how are you, in 35 languages. In fact, English is not my first language. Spanish is my first language. And 35? 35, yeah. Golly molly. Yeah. <laughs> Golly molly. Well, I've lived, I've, I've visited 135 countries, and I've lived, I haven't even tallied up how many countries I've actually lived in. Anyway, my point is that... I just have, and I, my, my world is the language of music and I just love increasing my languages. So I have music. I have a printed published book of poetry. My language is poetry. I'm, I'm just drawn to the language of astrology, just as another language. I'm drawn to the language of tarot for its symbolisms, metaphors, and it's a language as well. I, I'm just drawn to the language of different religions. I love hearing about the Hindu versus the Buddhist versus the Confucianism. There's also, uh, there, there's so many, I love all religions. I'm all inclusive, all genders, all political systems. I'm just of the world and I don't want to yeah. pinhole or, or speak against any of it. I just embrace it all and i feel like there's something to be learned from all so that feels to me like what a hell of a mature soul you are to and and i can't see it unless that because it but but what you're saying reminds me of how mature that is and i could i can't notice that in you unless there's a sliver of that in me that's part of projection what a beautiful story Viviana, about how all of the above, the all that is in the Lakota word about uh, uh, in trying to describe what we limitedly call God, the all that is informs, holds, and is with us. And we are within all of that. Very nice. Wow. I, I, Billy, I, can I 
tease you for a bit because you've shared your own fundamental Christian fundamentalist backgrounds and how you have, you have, you have blasted into space out of there into where you are now. And, 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 you know, no one will know consciously the gifts you have given to all of us by blasting away from that and the wounds that you've had, you've been able to redeem and, and make and, and invite wholeness for yourself as well as, as others. But, but what I remember out of my own fundamentalist culture, and I would guess that you would have this too, we would have Bible studies sometimes. And part of the method was let's just let the Bible open and then we study those words right there. And that totally reminds me of when Billy does the tarot yeah. and she's casting the cards or gently nudging them. It's like, well, that isn't any different. You know, yeah. my reactivity says that's not any different than letting this Bible fall open. And I read the 23rd Psalm or we read about some story that Jesus told or experienced. And it's like, Okay, let's not judge either one. Let's say, let's say, you know what? There may be an energy that looks accidental and also can be reflective of the collective unconscious, the intuition that yearns for us to gain insight and wisdom. Now, can we legalistically say, I have to do what that Tarot says or what that scripture says? Well, that's gonna, you know, that's mistaken literalism. How can it inspire us in that ancient Spanish Greek word to move more towards wholeness? The actual term for that opening the book, okay, and seeing where it lands and what, and it's called Biblomancy. So it's I don't know that term. Is that out of your as that out of your old religious? No, biblomancy is is anybody can do it. I I can take a book right now and pick it up and everybody say, go to page 35 or or let the let it fall. Right. So but that's that's a way it's somewhat a form of divination in some ways. But again, as you said, there there's there's no reason that I have to take it literally. Maybe it's this just there to inspire. It reminds me of synchronicity. Yes. You just open it up and, okay, this is it. (laughs) This is it. Yeah. Look at this insight, this droplet that we suddenly see. And in the world of synchronicity, there are billions of droplets all the time. Once in a while, we notice them and we think, golly, that's amazing. So speaking of inspired, I feel very inspired since you brought up my um, religious upbringing um about taking things literally okay so i was shipped off a couple week at, weeks every summer to stay with my grandmother and go to vacation bible school now i don't know why i was shipped off and my brothers weren't but that's a whole nother story but but mm-hmm. i remember the whole thing was being becoming born again born again yeah. and, and my grandmother I... my grandmother uh always told me that I was going to go to hell because I had never been officially baptized. Mm-hmm. Wonderful thing to tell. A and and in your particular brand of religion, of Christianity, physical baptism, 
underwater or yes it was full, had, full immersion okay yeah, so here's, here's and, my story and you you would go to hell if you didn't have that act right i had i was christened when i was a baby the little sprinkling yes. they do but i didn't yes. i didn't yes uh, accept jesus christ enough to where i would be fully immersed and go through the whole thing so everybody's yes. born again born again so here i am a seven six seven year old kid sitting in church and i'm watching the preacher, he takes, you know, it's a big deal. You know, this woman's gonna gonna be baptized. She's got her robe on. She comes up and does all the the ritual, and then they take her into the pool. I mean, into the little bathtub, uh, baptismal pool, I should say. And and the preacher puts a rag over her face and then dunks her into the water, and then the curtains close. Okay, so all of that in a kid's brain. Oh my God, she's gonna be. She has to die in order before she can be born again. And the cur it's curtains for you. That was that. You remember that was a an expression that people would say in like in like uh, gangster films and stuff. Oh, it's curtains for you. <laughs> so here I am, this little kid. Oh God, I still tingle when I think about this because here I am, this little kid, and I think this woman actually died because, and I'm thinking, oh, I just witnessed this. So I scream and kind of freak out. And my grandmother has to actually take me to the back of the church to see the woman dripping wet that I, that she was still alive. Because I thought as a little kid, I took it all literally, she's going to have to be born again. So I'm thinking <laughs> curtains and I, wow. yeah. So I was completely traumatized by that. And, um, my grandmother was, somewhat wise enough to say you know we have to show we have to show bill Cheryl that this woman is still alive you know so so but i was just like out of my out of my sense i was just out of myself i was just jumping up and down and screaming because i couldn't believe that this was actually taking place because i took it all literally what a, a powerful scary story but the literalistic interpretation you had no choice as a little child children will do this yeah. but the way it was described also you have to literally be dunked in the water as a christian new christian or you will go to hell you know the right. literalism permeated so why wouldn't a little child you know just decide oh my god that person oh be jesus this person has died so they can wow. be born again that was that was yeah. my understanding so i I, I have to go here in this, you have reminded me. And the other day when I was doing my run and I meditate and do whatever I, my version of praying is, the story of Nicodemus meeting Jesus in the middle of the night, whether it's literally true, I don't know. It is an amazing story. So this very probably wealthy, learned soul, maybe a part of a religious professional body sneaks in to see Jesus and says, wow, everything you're doing is amazing. I, I want to be a part of this. What must I do? And Jesus says, well, you know, I, I have a more playfully profane way of describing this story. I won't get into that yet. But, but Jesus says, well, Nick, you need to be born again. And he did the same thing that Billy at five or six, you did, which is 
what? Do I have to crawl inside my mother's womb again? And Jesus, again, in my earthy way, is saying, you dumbass, no, don't take it so literally. <laughs> and then Jesus said, look, you, how did Jesus say that? He said, the, you notice the wind. Mm. You know, the wind, the wind is like the spirit. You know not where it comes from but you feel it. That, Nicodemus, is what I'm talking about. To immerse yourself into the spirit. And that is being renewed to be born symbolically, to be a part of the wind that yeah. renews and changes yeah. and fiercely covers and heals. So that, thank you for letting me share that piece out of your, you know, Nicodemus, wealthy, aged soul, and little Billy at what, three years old, five years old, you know, had the same reactivity, but that's what fundamentalists do. Yeah. And the, we're talking dreams and story and metaphor and liberation, which is not uh, it, it's scary to people mm. sometimes. Right, right. Wow. Is that where the, the uh, story about it, it, it's easier for a rich man to pass through, through the eye of a needle than it is to, for him to enter the kingdom of heaven? Is, or how, is that from the so, shame? So it, it, it may be, so I don't know exactly or the location. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it, it, you know, Jesus was telling these fun stories and whoever was making them up or recorded them, because we don't, yeah. I, I don't know for sure what is historically a story that Jesus told versus what is a beautiful metaphor that emerged out of that. But yes, that is uh, somewhere it's connected Easier to that. Easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than a rich yeah. man to enter the kingdom of heaven. So yes. in other words, we go back to the metaphor of what we started with, with the, with the uh, fall towards the glass blower's breath. It's the, not the material yes. thing. It's not yes. the material thing that the glass, I break the wine glass and fall towards the glass blower's breath. So if, so mm. that metaphor of the camel passing through the eye of the needle, I still remember that as a kid too. Again, <laughs> you take everything so literally when you're a child, you know, because because fantasy and and reality are the same when when you're between the ages of you know infancy into seven. So you know, and that's physiologically proven, you know. So there so there's some part of me that believed it all. And I, I'm imagining this camel and I'm imagining, you know, an eye of a needle. I mean, so all of the stories, you know, Noah's Ark was always a big one too, you know. Me a, a literal story. Yeah. Get all the animals. Story. And, and I was smart enough to go, I don't know how they fit them all. In that Thank you. I would go. Of course like, you were oh. smart enough. And then I would also ask my grandmother, I'd say, but you know, what about all the kids in in Japan that don't know anything about Jesus or what about all the kids in Africa, you know, they don't know anything. And I'm, I knew that they didn't know who Jesus was. So I'm thinking, are they all going to go to hell? And that wasn't, that was an unsolvable paradox for my grandparents to explain 
so they just would gruff and walk off you know <laughs> they didn't have any way they didn't have any response but i was they were they were called to be more mature by your question and they couldn't do it yeah. you know it, that it's a it's an it, it it takes great maturity to hold paradox and to hold question i saw viviana viviana's hand again no i i Early on, I always wondered. I see that hand. <laughs> I wondered what the star of Bethlehem was. Yeah. And the three wise men and right. how so many people think, well, they were the astrologers mm -hmm. bringing mm -hmm. the incense and myrrh and going towards this alignment in the stars that was significating or bringing on the new king. They were astrologers, maybe? <laughs> well, that that is part of the legend. Part of the other piece is we, in, in my view, in my studies, we don't know that that actually physically took place. However, it is a legend that has beauty and truth. And there were these elements that you're pointing out of some version of astrology at that time that would point to major life and world events. So yes yeah right that it was more of an alignment of stars rather than just one individual star that they were seeing alignments of planets or whatever is that that's is that how you've heard the story viviana well who who knows i'm just posing the yeah the the request to include astrology as as symbols metaphoric language that that sure. we use <laughs> and that is contained within what we sometimes have called the holy christian scriptures and oftentimes they're you know demeaned by fundamentalists to say oh well this was just one event and it was a god event not an astrological event you know so it's their way to uh try to reconcile these these scary possibilities. Yeah. And you mentioned something before about, about being able to accept paradox. And I think Jung is quoted of saying that, that you can tell an immature religion that is not able to accept paradox, that there's no- Or an immature political position or right. an immature economic position. All right. of those things that you're pointing out, Jung is right on target. Yeah. How can we tolerate opposites? Mm -hmm. Seemingly opposites, you know, that one. You Thank know, you. That's the that's the tension of the opposites. And that's that's one of the reasons I love DreamWorks so much is I think it helps us to embrace paradox about ourselves, about the world, about our relationships, about our my history, you know, our history, whatever it might be there's going, I'm going to be embracing those paradoxes all the time. I have to accept both and, and I can't just always accept just one and say, oh, this is it. This is one I want to take. No, I have to take them both. And often people, speaking of metaphors, often when a dreamer reaches a point of embracing paradox, they'll dream about bridge, a bridge will show up in their dream. Oh, yeah. right. A Wonderful. So often, because, because I need both sides of the bridge. I can't get I can't get where I want to go just by staying on one side of the bridge. I have to get to the other side. So so that's one of the metaphors that I've seen that shows up often for that reason. 
Well, and it, th thank you for that. And also, uh, well, in my dream that I worked on the other day, the what we call the owl dream. Mm -hmm. So inside of this oh. um, hole, there was this fat, plump rattlesnake that you know may have eaten once in a while one of the baby owls. And you pointed out, you both pointed out, this is the paradox of life. And it's like the dreams are always, and maybe it's just uniquely for me, I always feel like I'm carrying paradox, yeah. uh, you know, the, the yin and yang. And, and if I don't judge that, it's not right or wrong. Uh, it, it is the way we are the way we are. When I worked at the Air Force Base in Cheyenne, Wyoming, I was with people I truly love who could blow up the world at the order of the President of the United States. How, how can this be so full of love and passion and soul searching and painful and anguishing at the same time? This expanded me in ways that I uh, I've continued to change, holding opposites, seeming, thank you, Billy, seeming opposites. Right. How can we be, how can we hold both the yin and yang of, right. of life? And that's what dreams challenge us. That's what these symbols that we're talking about challenge us to look at, the paradox. Yeah. And it is the tension of the opposites where we get the power. I mean, it's like when you have a battery, you know, you have a one side positive and one side's negative. That's how the energy is it's generated. So the more often I see those those seeming opposites that really want to go together, that we end up with the tension of the opposites. And we realize that there's a lot of energy in there rather than repressing one and, and just holding on, holding on to one and repressing the other. If we if we hold them both simultaneously that generates a tremendous amount of positive psychic energy. And that takes a lot of mature work to do yes. this. Uh, and, and, and in our political climate and relig outward religious climate and militaristic climate, they don't like paradox. They want it either or. And that's part of what is happening, I think, is just ripping, wounding all of us uh, in the in the outer world. Mm. Yeah. Uh, may I continue for a second or more? Sure. I, I don't want to over. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll stop. Let's go no, with no, other no. things. No, I just, oh, okay. No, for a well, second. So it's okay to keep going? Please. Okay, so I, I've talked with some of my clients uh, and some former clients. And yesterday I had this amazing visit with a person who used to be a client who is a scientist and has worked in the uh, U.S. National Park System for years and years and years. And she was reminding me how much she dreams and she just loves dreams and so I was encouraging her, you know, listen to our podcast, do this, do that. And she and 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 then I it just dawned on me. Oh, and by the way, you know, when we explore dreams, we sometimes move into the symbolic language of astrology or tarot or some and she goes, "Huh. <laughs> well, 
you know, I think I, I, I think you would lose me there. And it's like, okay, that's fair because that's not her language. And, and so we had this beautiful kind of uh, uh, wondering together, what does, how do we hold this and not let, uh, you know, somehow accidentally seal someone out from the deep mm -hmm. spiritual yearning to explore uh, uh, ways to grow and heal that often come through dreams. Yes, ma'am, I see your hand. <laughs> you can't please everyone. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the first things you had to learn about life. That's it. Yeah. I, I get that. Yeah. <clears throat> and I get the tension. And right. maybe it's neurotic on my part. Uh, however, I do get the tension of wanting to honor where people are at hmm. and be a bridge be a bridge of trust uh, for people as they do their soul searching and what is their language. Uh, so, so both is true. You can't please everyone. And, and the yearning to, for wholeness is universal. There we go with that paradox again. <laughs> Your story, Royce, reminds me a lot of my, my mother and mm. her inability to accept anything but classical music and rock music is not allowed and i was not allowed to listen to that's why i don't know anything about about the music that you love actually oh because when we oh and, and billy and dick clark yeah, because i don't know i i i was listening to bach and beethoven when the world was listening to other things and i don't mm -hmm. even know I, yeah. I don't recognize somebody says, oh, that's the Beatles. I, I, I don't know. I don't know this stuff yeah. because my mother was so, as you maybe use one of your terms, fundamentalist classical. Mm. And that's the world that I grew up in. So even though I, we, I didn't have so much religion in my life because my parents were very scientifically minded, which is another language uh -huh. and religion was not allowed. I am deeply spiritual, but I've, I've picked from all the languages, all the religions. And in my music too, I tend to, I tend to focus on classical, but I also, I sprinkle in all sorts of things. And I've, and, and within classical music also, I'm a bit of an outcast because I'm genre fluid, as I like to call myself. I play I love tango, that. I play tango, I play world music, I play Irish music, Russian music. I mean, there's so many musics. There's so many flutes. Every part of the world has developed a special flute. The the sakuhachi from Japan and then the nei from the Middle East and the Chinese dits and the South American toyos and sampoña and there's a kena and there's so many all over the world. And you can't just say I play Kenna period I only listen to Kenna period I know yeah, yeah. I'm here to bring it all together again yeah. you are the With bridge love. right you are the a mature bridge that has compassion wow you know what a gift what a what a painful gift because you had to be you were raised in a rigid culture and you've blown the walls off of that i might to this day my mother does not accept my astrology so <laughs> hmm. oh well. wow <laughs> so rich so rich we are 
you know, it, and as we were talking before, I mean, my personal belief is that the dreams come in the language of metaphor, so we cannot understand them ourselves. We need to take them to someone else to, to help us understand. I, I can't see the deeper meanings of my dream because I'm uniquely blind to it. So everybody is, we're all uniquely blind to our own dreams. So if I'm someone who says, well, I believe in the language of dreams, but I reject the language of tarot or astrology or anything like this, I would ask myself, why? Why, why do those other, is it because they're considered uh, forms of divination? Is that why I've, I've learned, I've, I think I have to reject them? I mean, it's all the same thing. It's all the same metaphor is, is runs throughout all of those, those languages. And as um, Viviana so brilliantly printed, pointed out, you know, am I only going to play one flute and one type of music the rest of my life? Mm. Or, or am I going to listen to everything and then, and then, and get, at least give it a chance? You know, that's the other piece. Um, so, you know, anyway, that it's, it, but it's always dreamer's choice and dreamer can take it or leave it. And if it doesn't resonate for them, then that's okay. We move on to something else. And, and that is not easily arrived at, and yet it's easily said, you know, your truth that you just said is powerful and it sounds so easy. And this isn't easy. Mm -hmm. And again, the paradox of the truth, not easy. Right. And yet the truth does set us free. Well, then it all comes down to when we think about what is real. You know, I mean, that's another thing that that's a whole nother subject, <laughs> which we can talk about another day. But when I but because when I'm in the dream and the bear is chasing me, I think it's I, it feels real. I mean, I'm like I'm running faster than I've ever run in my life. And I feel the bear breathing down my neck or the man pulls a gun out in the in the, you know, bank scene. And I and I'm like, oh, no, I'm going to this is it. I'm, my life's being threatened. It feels very real. But then if I come into this life and I go, oh, you know, well, in real life, in real life, that's why we've gotten accustomed to saying in waking life, because it feels just as real in my dreams as it does in, in my waking world. So how can I see that they really are both the, one and the same, that I that the me that appears in the dream sometimes is different. Sometimes I'm younger, sometimes I'm a different gender. Sometimes I'm a different, I, I look different or whatever, but that still feels like me in the dream. So what is real? That would be my question um, forever. It's like, I don't, I'm not sure. I'm not, I, I feel kind of like <laughs> Robin Williams used to say that like reality, what a concept, you know, there's a, there's a place in there where it's like, what do I decide is real and why do I decide it's real? You know? And to be able to even ask the question with a sense of peace, what is real, is a very mature place to be. So that we on purpose seek not to be rigid and to, how, and to hold with wonder, with true wonder, what is real and to be at peace with that. Okay. And... And what does that look like as I live and move and have my being in the world? Mm. Wonder is, is a, it, for me, a good beginning answer. And love. 
Yes. Well, in curiosity and compassion, I think those are those are the big pieces. You know, if I, mm -hmm. I, I, I'm very dedicated to dream work because I know that it that it it tends to to instill compassion. You know, so frequently, especially when we do the work in the projective, because I truly am imagining myself in in like when when you were telling the dream race about the little baby owls and the snake. And I'm like imagining I'm like there I could just feel it I could just see the little baby owls I could see you know this this. Um, drama that was unfolding you know in in the. The world of, of the creatures that showed up in the dream so but it just seemed very vivid so every time I enter a dream it's it's as though I am the dreamer and it and it helps me to see it from a compassionate la layer. And so I think that that's a really big piece of it too. So curiosity and compassion and to always be ready for something new, maybe not make my mind up about everything and say, oh, this is real and that's not, this is good and that's not, you know, those, those like splitting apart of things is where I get stuck in that inability to embrace pet paradox. Yes. I, I, that th these are all well said uh, uh, statements and words, uh, and again, this being able to uh, uh, be invited into the world of symbol and metaphor mm. uh, for me has changed me forever, yeah. and and you know when I'm out on my runs or my hikes. I have conversations with all that is around me, yeah. you know, the, I, the, the, you know, the cliffs, I was standing next to part of one the other day. And it's like, this is my friend, you, you've been here millions of years. This morning, when I was running, I turned a, a bend, and there was a coyote in front of me. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, within 15 feet, and we startled each other. And he or she was like, oh, one of them, two legs, and <laughs> hardly paid attention. We kind of noticed, you know, I gave my blessing, you know, be safe, do what you need to do. And, uh, and, and so we were never far apart for, you know, five or 10 minutes. And it's like, I, it's like, oh, a cousin. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if I'm considered a cousin, uh, but I, I consider right. that being a cousin of mine. And uh, so, yeah, the all that is to be able to hold all. Beautiful. Well said, Royce, and thank you. I think um, maybe we could start wrapping it up. <laughs> yeah, yes. And uh, Royce, if uh, somebody would like to meet with you, have a reading with you, share with you, how might one do that? Thanks. Royce Fitz, F-I-T-T-S dot com. And uh, on my website, there is a way to reach out to me easily. And we can have, without any obligation, at least a 30-minute consultation mm. about what spiritual counseling and dream work looks like. And, uh, and, uh, uh, 
this will be, I think, a marvelous way to begin exploring the beautiful and awful paradoxes of life because we are called into this. We are here and present. And how do we, how do we bring renewal to ourselves and to the world? Wow, beautiful. Wonderful. That that sounded beautiful. Sign me up. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) ma'am. Oh, and Billy, your website, Wake Up To Your Dreams. Tell us a little bit about what you offer. Yeah, so I offer uh, throughout the month uh, private sessions, and I also host um, a couple of dream groups, one that meets in the evening and one that meets in the afternoon. I also help people trained to become dream workers through the Rocky Mountain Institute of Projective Dreamwork. Um, so that's all on my website. And I also have a, speaking of retreats, Bryce mentioned it early on, my first in-person treat, retreat since the COVID era is going to be happening um, October 14th through the 16th at Peaceful Meadow Retreat Center in Boulder. So all of that information is up on the website wakeuptoyourdreams.com. Wonderful. Well, I'm Viviana. I'm a musician. A flutist. A flutist. flutist. Of of (laughs) world-renowned, of all kinds of flutes. All kinds of flutes. All uh, inclusive. Thank you for Uh, not being rigid and a fundamentalist (laughs) with flutes. The, The world is gifted with your expansiveness no with your expansiveness yes and your fluting my website is viviana.org v-i-v-i-a-n-a.org and as i mentioned before i love exploring all metaphors stories languages symbols archetypes and yes i since i discovered billy online i signed up for one of her dream circles and I had a I have an in-person meeting but that wasn't enough I wanted more and my mind has just been so expanded by both of you by because I've this is where I met Royce and I just can't get enough of dream work now and and Mm -hmm. anyway and now we have a dreamer hotline if you would like to share a dream with us pay attention listeners pay attention (laughs) the number is 720-573-9195 again 720-573-9195 we'd love to hear your dream call it in we are also all three of us have instagram accounts uh, Royce and TikTok accounts, I believe. Royce has an exploding TikTok account. <laughs> and the podcast is available on Instagram, iHeartRadio, Pandora, uh, Spotify, yeah. the Apple Podcasts. If you have enjoyed today's episode and others, please, we would love it if you gave us a rating and uh, send us some stars and some love and some hearts and some shares. This keeps our podcast alive and thriving. Thank you. So with that, we wish you all, dear listeners, Happy dreaming until our next time.